When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin. The only problem I'm gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What is going on, NBA Draft fans? I am not Corey Tullova, uh, the <laughs> usual host of this show. I am his co-host, Albert Gim, back with the Draft Act NBA Draft Show. And today we have a really fun, interesting pod because, number one, as I mentioned, Corey is not here. And I'm joined by an equally handsome, equally awesome and funny dude in uh, oh, okay. Stephen Gillespie here with us. Stephen, if you can. Please, I'm, I'm sure our listeners know who you are, but, you know, it's still I'm, I'm hosting and you're, we're potting together for the first time. And I think like, I don't know, when's the last time we potted? Like a year, year and a half ago? I don't even remember. Oh, man, it may have been when I was doing Draft Capital and See, yep. it was your first time like being a guest on a show. So mm-hmm. this is going to be fun, man. That's right. So, Stephen, if you can really quickly kind of introduce yourself, you know, tell us you know, what you're up to, what's been going on. Just a a quick little intro for our listeners out there. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Steven. I'm an Aries. Uh, I am (laughs) part of the, uh, I'm part of the No Ceilings Collective here. Uh, Hopefully everyone heard me yesterday. I was just on deep dives with uh, Nick Agar Johnson. Hopefully you heard me Monday. I um, ran draft deeper. Busy man. Yeah, I had a really good time. Had Metcalf on there. So the listeners might be pretty familiar with me um, being the third time this week that they've listened to me. But, you know, I'm just a just a regular bro, you know, dad, husband um, and draft analyst. So I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of hats. Father of how many again? How many kids you guys? I have 15? four kids. No, four not kids. yet. Not yet. Fifteen. Um, I have four kids. They're all under the age of nine. That's so. incredible. That's incredible. For, for our listeners out there, Stephen and I are actually the same age. And the fact that Stephen has <laughs> four kids and I have two dogs that I can barely handle. One of my dogs peed in my office this morning and I almost lost it because my dogs generally are very well behaved and never pee in the house. And I don't know what came over him and, you know, why he decided to pee in my office. And I'm currently recording in my office and I spent like an hour and a half trying to get everything out of the carpet. So it's been a morning. It's been a morning, yeah. but here we are. I can definitely understand, you know, the whole <laughs> frustrations about pee and poop and all mm-hmm. all of those things. I, mm-hmm. I can relate. Well, hopefully uh, your kids are not peeing and pooping on the floor. Uh, I'm sure that's uh, not a problem you have. <laughs> no, but, just in diapers. Yeah, eh, well, It's not too bad, I guess. Um, but here we are. Uh, we are back on the NBA, um, the Draft Act NBA Draft Show. And um, we're going to be covering Grady Dick. And Grady Dick is a really really fun prospect to talk about he is uh a guy that 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't say he's like the hottest name in college basketball right now, but he's a guy that I think is going to garner a lot of attention when, especially when the NBA draft comes along. And I'm really excited to have this conversation with Steven because I actually have some questions for you, Steven, about certain things like, you know, NBA draft philosophy stuff okay. and how to evaluate and rank different guys. Cause you know, something that we do a lot at uh, no ceilings, we do a lot of big boards and stuff like that. So I wanted to ask you about that, but before we okay. get into that, as Corey will usually do, we'll get into Grady Dick a little bit. And I think a good place to start is to kind of get into uh, whether his his draft stock is too high, too low, or just right. And so I'll go over where his draft stock was preseason. Uh, preseason ESPN had him ranked 19th. Okay. SB Nation had him ranked 22nd. Our No Ceilings Collective... A little bit lower on him. We had him at 31. Uh, Basketball Nation had him at 23. Uh, the Athletic did not have a rank on him. Tankathon had him at 22. Sports Illustrated also had no rank on him, which brought his a- average stock price to 29.6. So I ask you, wow. Stephen, do you think his draft stock at 29.6 is too high, too low, or just right? I think right now for me, it's too low, Albert. I just, I was of the the folks uh, on the Ceilings Collective, obviously that contributed to our composite board. And I had him like around that 31 to 34 range because there was a lot of concerns about him on my end, just physicality wise. Like how is he going to hold up against some of the bigger wings? And, and we're going to talk about that more here in a little bit, but I was just concerned that he was just a shooter. If you've watched him play basketball at all, the commentary team is uh, very apt to let you know that he is more than a shooter. Like every time he he shows up and they're they're talking about him, they really want you to understand, Albert, that he does more than just shoot the basketball. <laughs> like it's a very it's vital for everyone to understand that Grady Dick is more than a shooter. Um, but I thought that's what he was going to be. I was concerned about how he's going to hold up defensively, how active he was going to be on on the glass and things like that after watching him play a few games now this season myself against some pretty good level of competition he has shown to be more than a shooter and um has it seems to hold up well in terms of physicality now there's going to be other aspects of his game where i still think that that's a little bit of a work in progress but it didn't seem to be as big as a detriment as i thought it would be coming into the year so right now i feel like where a lot of folks had him coming into the season, obviously looking at it, revisionist history. Now, I think it's too low. I have him at about 18, I think is what I submitted um, for our, you know, coming projects that we have. I have him at about 18 right now, and I feel pretty good about it. Okay. Yeah. No, I can totally understand that. I think I, preseason, I'm looking at my big board right now, the first one that I did, and I had him at 31. So, um, obviously I was a little bit lower than the 29.6, but I think Steven, I'm right there with you with everything that you essentially said. I think so far he's had a really good start to his freshman campaign, uh, as a, as a Jayhawk. And I think overall, I had a lot of the same questions that you did. I was a little bit worried about, you know, how he would handle physicality. And to be totally honest, I don't even know if I even have a final answer on that yet, but from what I've seen so far, 
there are some encouraging things, right? Um, I think the biggest surprise that obviously we're going to talk about in a little bit, I, I, the biggest surprise for me was definitely like the passing. Like I did not see that coming and that just might just be on me, right? I probably just missed that watching his high school tape. But uh, if so in terms of my answer, I'll say 29.6 does seem a little bit low. Um, I, I should have, I haven't completed my next big board yet. Uh, I know Nathan, here. I know, I know Nathan's going to want me to have that done ASAP, but um, yeah, I just need some more time to evaluate a couple of guys. But I think where I'm at is I'll definitely have him higher than 31. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if I had him at the same range that you have him at like 18 might be a little bit lower, might be a little bit higher. I'm not sure yet, but I'm with you. I, I think 29.6 definitely seems to be a little bit too low and let's get into why we think that. So Grady Dick, as Corey will usually do, give you a little intro, but Grady Dick is a guard, six foot eight guard, wing, forward, whatever you want to call him. Sure. Uh, according to the KU athletics website, he's listed at six, eight, which I think is there. I, I don't know. I've <clears throat> I personally thought he looked a little bit smaller, but okay, we'll give him six eight. Um, it could just be me. I, I don't know. Yeah, he's listed at two oh five, which also passable. Passable, right? Passable. I like him to add a little bit more weight, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. But two oh five is not. You know, he, at least he's not one eighty five. Um, right. so I'm fine with that. Uh, went to Sunrise Christian Academy for for high school, and now he's at Kansas, and he's playing on a veteran laden, solid Kansas Jayhawk team. And I think he's going to be a player that over the course of the season, because of the team that he's on and the supporting cast, or actually, you know, he probably is a supporting cast to Jalen Wilson and others. But, you know, I, I think he's in a good situation where he's going to grow and progress in a really healthy way. And so, Stephen, for us to get deep into, not that this is okay. the draft deeper um, podcast, but to get a little deeper on Grady Dick, why don't we start in the shooting? Um, okay. because obviously that is his marquee skill. Now you mentioned, you know, the telecast, they don't want you to only talk about his shooting and he has other abilities and different talents or whatever. Very but important I for everyone to understand this, that he correct. is more than a shooter. Correct. <laughs> um, so Steven, I think a good place to start where I wanted to ask you is I, I, I don't, I don't want to just throw like shooting as an umbrella at you, but let's, let's do this. What's been the most impressive part of his shooting and maybe the least impressive part of his shooting that you think he might need a little bit of work? So I think the most impressive aspect of his shooting is the the movement shooting, you know, coming off of screens, transition, you know, watching him trail is, is pretty impressive because they've got other ball handlers on this team too, like Dwan Harris, you mentioned McCuller. You know, there's there's a number of prospects on this team that can bring the ball up the court and Grady can either parallel them on the floor, maybe be a little bit ahead of him. But as a trailer, he's looked very impressive. They like to run him off of several screens as well. He's very comfortable. I, and I love his release, very high release point, uh, quick trigger, and just looks very comfortable off of movement, um, letting it fly. And he hits it pretty consistently. Um, the I would say the, the least impressive has been when he's choosing to attack and continue to go towards the rim. Now, he can pump fake, go by a guy, pull up for a mid-range shot, and that looks really good. I do love his movement shooting in that regard. But attacking the rim as a shooter, maybe, you know, in like float game or things like things of that nature, I think that that's where he can stand to be a little bit better. Um, His inside the three-point line finishing numbers in some regard could, could be a little bit more polished. But it's hard to knock him in 
really any area as a shooter, but I would say that one area I think that he could stand to be a little bit better is going towards the basket and finishing. Yeah, no, I totally agree with, I, I agree with that. I, I think for me, Steven, I think the outside shooting, obviously it, there's a reason why that's his marquee skill and the reason yeah. why everybody wants to point you to different <laughs> directions because they want to kind of round him out as a more, I guess, I don't know, holistic basketball player, but sure. with Grady Dick, the outside shooting is there. I mean, clearly the form looks beautiful, repeatable uh, mechanics look sound. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he has good balance. Uh, as you mentioned, even off the move, he's able to find his balance. And even when he's off balance, it seems like he can get his shot up uh really effectively now for me though the one critique that i had for him was you mentioned because of the threat of his jump shot there are opportunities for him to get downhill to get towards the basket for him to even take a one dribble two dribble pull up um i would say though right now i think not it's not a weakness i think it's an area uh that needs improvement it's sure. like his one pull one dribble two uh dribble pull up is it does need some work i think um I, I think some of his ugliest misses this season have come off of the head fake one dribble pull up and uh he threw up some bricks there whether it was off the side of the rim or complete air balls or whatever i, I think that is one area of his shooting that does need work now the great thing about the situation that he's in is that as you mentioned because he's kind of like a supporting role player to the other ball handlers they have on this team there are going to be a lot of opportunities where he's going to catch it on the weak side corner strong side corner whatever and just off the threat of you know him being grady dick and people knowing that he is their best shooter people are going to hard close on him and i think he's going to have a lot of opportunities to use the head fake pump fake to get going downhill whether it's off a of one dribble two dribble or all the way to the basket where because he's going to get so many reps this season i think mm -hmm. he's only going to get better and i and i imagine that's going to be where he's going to find himself like I, I think his scoring average will only go up because of those types of shots um and, and of course as i mentioned because he's such a rock solid almost i mean i, I don't want to use this word yet but i was going to say elite but i, I don't want to say that yet just because we i, I want to be more careful about throwing that word around but because generational, he's... I think that that's the word you're looking for. Is he's that the more conservative uh, term? Yes. Way, way, more conservative approach, yes. <laughs> because he's such a good shooter, um, I, I do feel like there are small tweaks that he uh, that he has to make to get better in that area. So I, it, it's not even an area of concern. It's more of an area of, hey, bud, let's work on this a little bit, yeah. and you're going to be rock solid at it because foundationally you're such a good shooter. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, handling pressure, there were, you know, not a lot of shooters at this level, especially coming in as freshmen, can handle, you know, hard sellouts where on a pick and roll or even when he's matched up in the corner and the defense is kind of there where he can have multiple guys close out on him and the shot's a little bit more rushed. Like, obviously, that's not an ideal spot for anybody to be in. But I I've noticed in a couple of, you know, for a couple of universities that have matched up against them that have really physical, uh, NBA, I would say NBA level defending wings. That's where he struggles as a shooter the most is whenever he has to go up against someone who's maybe equally sized or has the advantage on him physically. You know, we saw him against Tennessee go up against a guy like Julian Phillips or against Seton Hall and go up against a Kadari Richmond. Like there, those level of defenders give him a little bit fit and they kind of rush the shot. And as great as he is as a shooter, you know, when we've seen him go up against like that level of talent of a defender on the wing. 
that's where he struggles a little bit. Now you have to see that level of talent in order to improve in those areas. So, you know, it's good that he's getting those matchups, but you know, he struggles with that kind of higher end level of physicality. And I see a lot of what you're seeing with him as a shooter. It's just that where he is, you know, in a, in a developmental timeline for his age, for his size, for the position that he plays for the, you know, skill set that he's looking to bring to the NBA. It's all very promising, everything that we're seeing for from him as a shooter right now. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I think as currently he's listed at 205, but I, I feel yeah. like, you know, he he's going to get bigger. And, and a lot of times we, we talk about college kids and we're like, oh, he's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. And, you know, to be honest, it's not that those people are wrong, but also like very naturally you going from 19 to then 25, 26, you're going to add strength. Like no matter yeah. what, you're going to be in an NBA program. You're going to be eating differently. The way you spend your time is going to be different. And just Stephen, even for us, we're older now. We're in our you know early 30s, and I'm sure we feel stronger now than we did when we were 18, 19. It's much know? easier to put on weight now than it was when I was 19. <laughs> <laughs> it's way easier. It's, it won't take him very long at all once he gets to be around our age, Albert. That's 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 right. I <laughs> I gained 20 pounds after I got married. Got married, so I definitely oh, understand bless your heart. That. Mm-hmm. But so with Grady <laughs> Dick, he's a guy that I think will get stronger. He's going to get sturdier. He's going to be a guy who I, I think over time, clearly, uh, things are going to change. And I think where he's at right now at his age going against, as you mentioned, you know, guys like Julian Phillips are really strong defenders. It, mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit difficult, but I really do hope. And th- that's a thing that Stephen, I think even for you and myself, as we try to evaluate prospects and we think about how to rank them and put them on a board and things like that, those are the types of factors that I think make evaluating these kids so difficult at times because it's the tape that we're watching now is what we're evaluating them on. But at the same time, that has to go in tandem with what we think they're going to look like five, six, 10, 15 years later. Right. Which makes it that Mm -hmm. much difficult. But I would say very simply when in terms of like his physicality, I agree with you needs a lot of work, but I'm not worried about it because that's just how nature goes. Yeah. And like naturally you expect him to get stronger and, you know, kind of let people in behind the curtain a little bit. This might be a fallacy on my end, but I assume that the things that a kid of his age are going to need, I kind of apply that blindly to all prospects, right? So like when I'm watching them, I assume that they're all going to get stronger, that they're all going to be able to handle physicality a little bit better. We don't always see that, right? Like we've seen guys like Brandon Wright and John Henson come into the NBA at like 6'10", 6'11", 210 pounds, and they, they – pretty much stay that way like their whole NBA career. They don't get up to that 230, 240. Whereas we see some guys come in a little bit heavier and we assume that they're going to get in better shape, kind of the inverse of what we're discussing here. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't always happen. So that's what makes evaluation such an interesting thing is that you need to know more about the player as a character, as a more so than just a player, because that's going to let you know like, does he put in the work in the offseason? You know, how seriously does he take basketball? Does he need this? Or is it just kind of like a, hey, I'm just naturally good at this. I fit the I fit the physical profile right now. But how interested am I going to be on improving myself over years and years and years? Like that helps you, I think, a little bit more in terms of your evaluation. No, for sure. I, I definitely agree with that. And the one thing I will say, Stephen, kind of just to piggyback off of what you just said, I think he I think he's a fighter. 
I, I think yeah. he's a really competitive player. And from what I've seen so far, there is some some sh- some shit to him. Like the guy yeah. does try really he's hard. He's a bit of a dick, if you he will. Is. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Sorry, it, it, we went twenty minutes without doing it. Sorry. <laughs> we need a counter in the corner to keep track of uh, how many times we're gonna get that. But I, I I really do think the kid is competitive, and I and I don't think. You know, the competitive nature is going to be a question mark with him because, look, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about his defense in a little bit, too. But you see it on that end of the floor offensively before we move on from the shooting. You mentioned like his movement stuff along with mm-hmm. that. I, I feel like his off ball movement. Awesome. And that's something oh, yeah. that Metcalf talked about when they were doing. Well, when, I, I don't know. I think Metcalf talked about this a couple times, actually. But wanted to ask you about he that. Does too, a lot, cause... so he probably <laughs> did. You know, Metcalf is a very smart guy. He is. He is. We should give him his flowers. But um, Stephen wanted to ask you, what do you think about his off-ball movement and the process that he plays with? Because I think that is one of the most impressive aspects of his game so far. Well, yeah, it goes hand in hand with him as a shooter. You know, if he was stagnant and was one of these types of players that where balls in his hand, he doesn't shoot it. He moves it along to somebody else. He has to relocate. Like that's, it's necessary for his game. You know, it's a very vital part of everything that he does is that he's constantly moving. It's similar to what we saw, you know, JJ Redick do for the past, like 20 years going on from Duke to the NBA is that as a shooter, you're most dangerous when everyone has to chase you around, around the entire court. And that's what we see Grady do. And he's blessed to play with guys like KJ Adams and Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller, you know, play even, even a guard like Harris, like people that are willing to set him really hard screens to free him up, which makes that movement shooting all the more deadly is that in order to be a movement shooter, you have to be moving. And he's always running around the entire, you know, every spot on the court. I, I feel like he's there. And even when he's not shooting, he's, he's, if he sees a lane to get a rebound, an offensive rebound, he's going to attack that as well. If he's he's not afraid of cutting towards the rim either. He's very smart and adept at understanding openings and where he can be strategically on the court to use the gravity to his advantage, right? Because just got done talking about Harris, McCuller, and Wilson. They provide rim pressure. And what makes a team, especially at the college level, because not every team has it, if you have a combination of gravity from players and pressure from others, it makes you very dangerous and it makes you very difficult to defend having Grady paired with those, you know, pressure style of players, the gravity that he possesses, you kind of have to pick your poison. And that's what we've seen Kansas do so far is be very hard to defend. Dude. I, I really love what you just said there at the end about gravity and pressure, because it's exactly right. I feel like whether it's in the NBA or in college basketball, the more you're pulling a defense in different directions, the more effective you're going to be as an mm-hmm. offense. And, and the same goes for like a, a, an individual player as well. The more levels and layers there are to your game, obviously the more dangerous you are because you're going to keep the defense guessing about what your next move is or what you're about or why you're standing in a certain position. Like all of that stuff matters. And I think with what you're saying with Dick, I 100% agree with the guy has real gravity. Right. And, and he's a guy that not only has gravity, but knows how to leverage that gravity into different opportunities for himself and others. And, you know, something that uh, we saw even in that Duke game, like he made a great cut and Wilson gave him nice feet on the baseline 
finished with a beautiful up up and under finish mm-hmm. um, at the basket. And it, that was really impressive to me because it was just like he, he's a guy who isn't just content with standing in a corner like you mentioned earlier, but he's a guy who will relocate, a guy who will cut, who is really – it the timing of his cut and cuts and the speed of his cuts are really, really good. And that type of stuff is – I don't know, like – Sometimes, like, you know, even in pickup, you just tell a guy, like, cut, cut, what are you doing, cut? And it's like, it's not that simple because sometimes you can cut and it's kind of useless because of, you know, you're not really leveraging certain things, whether it's timing or position or, you know, your skill set or whatever. And I think that's the one thing that's so impressive about Grady Dick is that he he doesn't cut just to cut, but he's cutting in a calculated manner. And there's, and and it's even more effective because of the gravity that you mentioned. I think that's a really solid point, man. I, I really agree with that. And, and well, I appreciate you know, it. And uh-huh. if I could just real quick, For you sure. know, the the cutting, the timing of it is important because if you cut at the wrong time, you have multiple players occupying the same right. space that gives the defense a little bit more freedom on the ground that they have to cover. Uh, you know, it's just the fact that Grady Dick can be almost anywhere on the court and be a threat. It makes him like you, like you were just saying, like extremely difficult to defend. And it, it, it makes the defense have to decide like, okay, if I have one really good defender and I'm going up against Kansas, do I want to try to go with the process that three is more than two and put him on Dick and hope that, you know, our interior defense holds up or do I want to put him on Jalen Wilson who can drive and has improved as a three point shooter this year as well and try to take you know, the, how dynamic of a player he is out of the equation. It makes the defense like really have to be calculated in how they, defend a team like Kansas. And once we get Grady Dick in the NBA, there's going to be no shortage of teams that have at least one guy who can put pressure on a defense. And then Grady Dick's, you know, gravity is going to free him up all, all the more. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, beyond the shooting, right. And the cutting and off ball movement and all that stuff. I, I think he's been a really impressive passer. And that's something okay. that I personally wasn't ready for at all. Now I, I'm not I'm not going to go ahead and say that he's going to be a guy that you want to trust your you know give give the keys to the offense to. I don't think he's going to be an offensive hub. I, I'm not even saying that he's making like crazy advanced reads, but just kind of piggybacking once again off the conversation that we're having right now in terms of gravity and pressure and timing and all that stuff. I, I think Grady does a great job of using that gravity, using that pressure to create good looks for others. And, and that, that's something that I think is really interesting because you, you mentioned there are a lot of times they're running him off of, you know, screens, multiple screens. And there are mm-hmm. a couple of plays where he'll, he'll catch it off these multiple screens and you have a big dive into the rim and he just sends a point perfect, a picture perfect pass to yep. the big to, that leads to a layup or a dunk. And I think that's the type of stuff that, once again, is not it's not an elite skill that he has, but it's a very good skill that he has and adds another layer to him. It makes him that much more difficult because as a defender, you're coming off these screens, whatever. And and as a defense is looking at him coming off these screens and they're worried about that three point shot for him to be able to make those reads and deliver good passes that lead to easy buckets. That just adds to the headache of defending him and that team. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because I, I don't know, maybe it's just me and I was just lower on his passing than I should have been. But I, I think it's been a really nice wrinkle to his game in terms of me evaluating him so far this season. Well, yeah. And I think that the passing in certain aspects, you know, um, there are particular contexts of his game that the passing has been really good. I think he's 
like around two assists a game, if I'm not mistaken. So we were talking about that yesterday with Nick about how Zola Stabellis as a center, you know, or projected to be an NBA center, I'll say, um, is giving you around that same number. Grady Dick as a wing playing on a team where Harris is pretty much your, your orchestrator and your organizer, but you get guys like Jalen Wilson and, and McCuller also in that mix. The fact that Grady Dick as more of a connective style player is giving you that level of assist, that's pretty impressive. Now, as I was saying with what I'm more worried about for him as a shooter is continuing to go to the rim and trying to finish, I think that's also where he gets in the most trouble as a passer. You know, whenever he's attacking a closeout and he recognizes that the mid-range isn't going to be there, he does try to get a little too flashy with wraparound passes, um, kind of behind him passes, things of that nature. But what makes him effective is when he's operating around a screen and one of the bigs is cutting to the basket, whether it's Uday, whether it's Adams, whoever, you know, they're, they're cutting to the basket. He's pretty good at a simple bounce pass, entry-level pass. Or just moving the ball around quickly if he recognizes that I'm the hockey assist guy, that the ball has to go to maybe another guy before you know the assist is recorded. He's pretty impressive in that regard where he won't be a ball stopper. It's just that I wouldn't expect him to be a, a facilitator. You know, he's more of a connective guy. And I think that that's more of along the lines of what you were you were speaking to, Albert. As a connector, as a guy who I talk about this sometimes when we're considering three and D level prospects mm -hmm. is that you can't just be a stagnant, put you in the corner, three point shooter, like long on are the days of like a Matt Bonner or Jason Capono who, you know, would just set up camp in one spot. If they were open, they would shoot it. If not, you just hope that the ball gets out of their hands safely mm -hmm. to somebody else. You know, you have to be able to attack a closeout with a simple dribble pull up or dribble and make the next play. I trust him more along the lines of making a safe pass off of maybe a couple dribbles, but if he's having to dribble a lot and do more inside the arc, that's where I think he gets into a little bit of trouble. But he's still very young, and he's getting more accustomed to advanced reads and things like that. He can probably make strides, but it's nothing. It's not a part of his game that I think is going to be a uh, a strong positive. I would say. Mm -hmm. No, I I can see that too. I, and I definitely do agree. I, I think what I was trying to say was that he, like, as a connective guy, yeah, good, very good, very good. And, and I think overall, that kind of leads me to my next question that I that I've been wanting to ask you, and and it really does come down to how we evaluate and view these players. But shooting is clearly worth a ton in the current NBA, yeah. right? Modern NBA shooting is worth a lot. I, I, I do feel like versatility is just as important, if not more important, than mm -hmm. even shooting. And, and I think when we get a guy like Grady Dick, ultimately where he gets drafted, and even beyond that, where his value is as an NBA player, for me, clearly the bona fide marquee skill for Dick is going to be the shooting, right? But do you feel like he's going to have enough of the other stuff where he becomes more valuable than just as like a kind of versatile offensive player, you know, a guy who can shoot, can move, can pass a little bit because, and, and the reason why I, I, I'm asking this question is because, you know, we, we look at like the Celtics now and they've got like Brogdon who's leading the league in three point shooting right now. And then a guy like Sam Hauser, who's 
uh, contributing for them who went undrafted. And then you mm-hmm. also have guys like, I don't know, like Corey Kispert on the Wizards who got taken with a with a lottery pick. I think it was a lottery pick. I think it was a 14th or something. But, it was either 14 or 15. Yeah. It was like right there, yeah. So when it comes to a guy like Grady Dick, how are you – because you said you have him at around 19, right? So how do you – I guess justify that draft position or that position in your big board considering where the NBA is going. Because you mentioned before, like these three and D guys, they have to play defense. They have to shoot the three. And also you want them to be a little bit more. Where do you, or sorry, how do you evaluate Grady Dick? And I know we haven't touched on the defense yet, but how do you view a guy like Grady Dick and his skill set? It, in your opinion, if you were a GM, would you be comfortable taking a guy like this in the first round, or would you potentially look for an undrafted guy like a Sam Hauser or even like a Max Struess? So I think that once you get to about that, you know, fourteen and on range, like it, I start getting away some a little bit. Like I'll diverge a little bit from best player available being weighted more kind of heavily to. What does my team need? Because when you start getting into the later portion of the draft, traditionally, like there's like, I think three teams are drafting this year. So it's going to be really hard to say like, you know, fit versus best team available. But in all seriousness, like once you start getting into the latter portion of the draft, you start assessing, you know, most of these teams have a guy. Most of these teams have a couple of guys, maybe even three. And then how do you round out your roster and shape? Um, when considering wing players, especially players of Grady Dick's size, like they're at a premium, you can never have too many six, eight, six, nine guys, especially if they can shoot the ball, you know, that they're going to step in and they're going to contribute immediately. He has the requisite, you know, connector passing, you know, that he sees immediate reads and he can make a good decision. And again, you know, at his age, you kind of start thinking that he can even improve on that. Like once he starts understanding defensive schemes and timing and adjusting to level of competition that those passing playmaking can get a little bit better. Um, You also see that he's not afraid to mix it up on the glass and that he's a capable cutter as well. So even though he's a shooter, he's more than a shooter. Again, it's very important that everybody understands this is that he's not afraid to get in the paint, mix it up on the glass. He understands schemes and, and coverages that he will fill a hole, that he's always going to be running on the court, that he's not going to be kind of a a black hole on offense, if you will. But then you kind of have to start weighing, and I think that this would be, you know, we're probably we're going to transition to the defensive side of the ball. It's like you're a wing. You're going to probably defend other wings, and that's where I start getting a little bit concerned where I could understand, like, when I have him at 18, yeah. You know, that's more so a range. Like, at, unfortunately, at some point, you got to assign a number to next to a name and you start getting into that's where draft philosophy starts coming in. I feel more comfortable at 18 than I do, say, you know, 13 or 14, where there are a couple of guys who I can trust a little bit more on both sides of the ball who might be able to handle the ball a little bit better. But once you start getting a little bit into the late teens, early 20s, it starts getting it starts to get more difficult on finding a reason to not to draft Grady Dick than it does to, than to take him. Yeah, no, that all makes sense, man. And I feel like, uh, will he have the other side of the ball is what we're about to get into or sorry, not, not that will he have it or not, but it, will it be 
at a high level enough, you know, yeah. for us to consider him in that range, I think is important. And, you know, something that I didn't even get to mention his stats so far this season, he's averaging 15.3 points per game, four rebounds a game, 1.6 assists, 1.2 steals. These are all pretty good numbers. You know, he's yeah. shooting 48% for the field, 45.3% from three. Very nice. That's Eight. That's okay. That's pretty good. 80% from the free throw line. So th- this is a, this is a, obviously a very talented player. Now, where we need to get kind of get a little tougher now is going to be the defensive side of the ball. And with that being said, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about his defense. And we're back from our uh, little break there to talk about Grady Dick's defense and defense is how well I don't, I'll, I'll put it very straight. You know, it's not going to be Grady Dick's strength, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a good place to start. So before we get into the nitty gritty, let me give you the opportunity, Stephen. Give us your overarching um, feelings and opinions on what you've seen so far from Grady Dick on the defensive side of the ball. Well, this is where I think we can have a little fun, and I'm just going to start calling him Grady Ick because he doesn't have any D, you know? Maybe wow. we can. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and remember when we had to do that with Jason Kidd? We called him Asen Kidd because he didn't yeah. have a J. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we can do the same thing with Grady here. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, early on in the season, when I'm watching, just like you, Albert, I'm watching a million guys, right? Like, Grady Dick was not on the forefront of my list of scouts that I wanted to watch in the early going of the season, but I'm always reading and listening to draft content. Like this might be crazy, even beyond no ceilings. I'm listening to everybody's draft opinions. It's a strange concept, Um, but I'm listening to everybody's takes. And some people were making it sound like Grady Dick was just, you know, a corpse on the defensive side of the ball that you just hoped he's occupying the right space and, you know, maybe someone trips over him and falls and then you get the ball. Something along those lines. Like he's like Lou Williams getting hunted in the playoffs. You know, that's that's not a good look. So I'm watching him, particularly against Duke. I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a defensive stalwart, but I think that he understands defense. I don't think that he is a sieve on that end. You know, he has a lot of room for improvement, especially with team style defense. And it gets more physical guys. But again, this is a guy that I had very little, I had early second round expectations on. With that, I thought that he was not going to be able to physically handle people. On the defensive side of the ball, that's where he's kind of proving us a little bit more right, Albert, is that he's not yet at the level to where he can handle the more physical wings. And for Kansas, he's going to have to. You know, they have a tough out of conference schedule and it's not going to get any easier in conference. So he's he's going to see wings that are going to give him fits. He's going to see guards that are very quick, and he's going to go up against kind of bigger guys that might be able to bully him a little bit. That's where I think that when we look at him as a 19, you know, 18, 19-year-old, 205 pounds maybe, you have to understand that he can improve on that side of the ball, but he does show areas of concern, you know, switching – onto faster guys. I mm-hmm. think that he can do it eventually, mm-hmm. but it's um mm-hmm. I'm getting a little bit, you know, glass half full here, but it's just not pretty. I will say it's not an atrocity. You know, it's not, you know, he's not the worst defender that I've mm-hmm. ever seen. 
like how yeah. a lot of people kind of makes make the commentary seem to be. But yeah. I do understand that he has a ways to go. I think it's very telling that the way that you're characterizing Grady Dick's defense as not atrocious, not the worst defender ever, kind of yeah. tells the whole story. I think yeah. it explains very well to us that it's not his strength. It's not something that he's good at, is I think a very fair assessment. Now, just because he's not good at it doesn't mean that he's a train wreck, but also because yeah. we're saying that he's not a train wreck doesn't mean that he's good at it either. It kind of goes both ways. Where You can be I, a little bit more conservative with the hyperbole when discussing right. something. It makes for great entertainment. It's a Correct. fun listen whenever you say like, oh, this Correct. guy is just a nothing on defense, mm -hmm. but he's mm -hmm. not that bad. Yeah, I think in totality, as a defender, he is a he's a work in progress is the best way to put it. I, literally every aspect of his defense. I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me now, our listeners and Steven, you probably won't care, but uh, I play left guard for a flag football team and we have a big tournament coming up this Saturday. And over the course of me learning to play left guard and playing left guard, the biggest thing that I've come to realize is, is as, as strong as I may want to be going against big dudes on the line the key to my effectiveness is my footwork right and i see that here with grady dig his footwork needs a lot of work and it's not just against the quicker speedy guards but it's also against the big stronger guys i feel like his feet are really really clunky i don't think he has slow feet actually I, I just think it's clunky and not always coordinated. And I think that's something that he can work on because I, I know the running joke in evaluation is always like, if a white guy is a little bit athletic, you call him sneaky athletic. Right. Oh, yeah, um, of course. <laughs> I more say, than a shooter now. Like that's the new, right. That's right. The new way that we describe white I, players that they're I, more than shooters. <laughs> I feel like Grady Dick's actually a good athlete though. Like yeah. once again, oh, like, yeah. there, he can really, he, he's not going to be like Vince Carter in the air, but he, he can get up. <laughs> Uh, he is athletic. He can get up for some really nice blocks time to time as well. And there is an athletic aspect to his game for sure. And I think it, 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 the same goes for his feet. He doesn't have the quickest feet in the world. They're not the best feet in the world, but they're not bad. I think they're just a little clunky right now. He's got to work on getting that a little bit more coordinated. Um, I, I didn't get his measurements in terms of his wingspan, but he doesn't look like he has a negative wingspan, nor does he have the longest wingspan. It looks pretty average from what yeah. I've seen. But overall, I think his, I don't even want to call it a strength, but the biggest plus um, for him as a defender right now is the effort. He, he tries. He actually yeah. cares. There is a buy-in on his end as a defender to be a, to tr try to be a team defender and a man defender, but it, it's difficult. And as we mentioned before, the quicker guards give him a lot of trouble. There yeah. are, there were, there have been, Many instances already of quicker guards kind of just walking right by him um, against the bigger guys. Obviously, he doesn't have the mass or the width or the girth. There it is, right? For him to stay in front of these bigger guys, right? But these are things that you can fix is, is yeah. kind of where I'm trying to get to. Obviously, he's not the, the, the most rock solid defender right now, but be, I just like believing in guys who care. I like guys who give a shit. I like guys who are trying to get better and who aren't completely giving up on this side of the ball. Because, yeah, like where he, where he has holes, he has holes. But the fact that he tries to compensate those holes by really 
trying hard and being in the right spots, I think is a good thing. He's even tried to take some, uh, draw some fouls, uh, draw some um, um, charges this year. Thank he, you. I want to yeah. talk on that if we go can. Ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So there's nothing more that college basketball referees love. They, they love nothing more than a white player that takes a charge. Like if you, you don't even got to be in position. If you are, if you just jump in front of somebody attacking the rim and fall backwards, like you are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And Grady Dick understands this, you know, I think that understanding defense obviously is the first step of improving. And I think that he does understand at least where he's supposed to be. He does get the benefit of playing alongside players like McCuller and like Wilson to where he can literally guard the worst offensive creator on the alongside the perimeter, maybe even a, a four who's not going to maybe mix it up in the paint like Kansas has the versatility to where he can guard like the least effective offensive player and get away with it. And what that allows him to do, obviously then have the easiest matchup is to understand like everything else that's going on around him, right? Like understanding the pressure points that the offense are trying to establish and understanding a game plan. Like he has to get better in that aspect. He's a young guy. Defense is hard, particularly as a wing player. It's not going to get any easier on the NBA, but I feel like he's going to, you know, Coach Self is going to help him at least understand where to be. And if he can be a, a, a charge drawing machine, then that might be where his strength is on the defensive end this year. Which, if you can take a charge, that indicates intelligence and that indicates footwork, right? Like understanding where the ball is going and and being able to have the skill set. And you spoke to the athleticism to get there. He can at least do that. No, dude, I don't. I... I really like that you brought up the whole coach self aspect of it all and the situation that he's in, because I think him being at Kansas under Bill Self, playing next to McCuller and Wilson and the veterans that they have on that on that team, I think it's a great opportunity for him to learn. Right. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, it's funny. Like, why do we go to college? We go to learn. Right. Um, it's kind of, you know, why Grady Dick is there. I think this is a real opportunity for him to learn, for him to improve, to get for him to be in. I, I don't want to say like low leverage, but it, it, what you mentioned because he's not yeah. guarding the best player every single night. It is a good opportunity for him to try stuff out, for him to get better, for him to make mistakes, right? Where he will be covered by his teammates and, you know, by schemes or whatever. So once again, not his strength, but he's in a great place and a great situation to turn a an area that needs improvement into eventually something that he could be pretty decent at is what I and think. And he's got the give a crap factor that you're speaking right. to as well. Like right. he he's an effort guy. Correct. You got to have that. Correct. And, and uh, that's the hard part of evaluation, right? Sometimes like we look at these insanely talented guys who are gifted with every tool in the toolbox and yet they just don't care and they refuse to care and they never get to a point where they care and it's really difficult. But I, that's the reason why I feel like my my overall stance on Grady Dick is shifting by the day because mm -hmm. whether it's on the offense side of the ball or the def defense side of the ball, I, I feel like he really cares. And he's a guy who's working on his game, working to get better. He seems like a guy who's working on the things that he's bad at, which I think is difficult even for like non-athletes, even for myself in the corporate world and the people that I work with or the people that, that I manage. Like it's hard sometimes for us to be realistic and objective about, about the things that we're not good at and to then address them and work on them right like that's hard for everybody but it seems like that's something that grady dick is trying to do so far 
Yeah. And it, again, you know, having a baseline and an un, like character is going to help players a lot, whether that's Grady Dick, whether that's, you know, Keontae George, who's got to get a little bit better at Baylor from what we've seen, you know, having that character along with the talent, like that's where you get separation and success at the next level. And, you know, we just keep Grady Dick has it like and you kind of have to bet on players like that. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. And and the one last thing that I'll say about him defensively before we wrap this part, another thing, and this is another thing that can be taught, can be worked on, can Mm -hmm. can improve. It it just, you know, sometimes he really gets lost navigating screens. Thank you. Yes, I wanted to touch on that, and that slipped my mind as well. Yeah, Yeah. I I feel like there are a lot of times where he just kind of does not really know where he's going or where he's supposed to be. But look, once again, coaching is going to help that. Tape is going to help that watching tape, watching himself, learning from his teammates and his coaches, I think is going to help a ton. So, yeah. Any any last thoughts from you defensively? Improving physically is going to help him on screen navigation as well. You know, being able to, you know, I think he has a tendency to kind of go under the screen because he doesn't necessarily want to fight over the top. Right. Which might be an indictment to everything that we were just saying earlier about, you know, his competitiveness. Or it could just simply be physically he's not capable of navigating in that aspect i think it's easier to drop than it is to take a step up get skinny slip and still maintain you know uh you know a hand on the hip or however else you're going to defend somebody i think that improving in his strength will help him in that aspect but one thing that we're going to see especially as he progresses to the nba he's on the court almost anybody can get you to switch in the nba it's like almost a given that when there's a screen you're going to switch and if he's going to struggle with foot speed of guards or the strength of bigs, it's going to be easy to kind of hunt them down a little bit. And that's where we got to understand that maybe even in the early going that he might just come in for a couple minutes, maybe get four or five points in that stretch, but maybe be negative one in the box plus minus, you know, it's going to be hard for him to compete if he doesn't improve physically. For sure, man. It's going to be a couple of years. It's going to be a couple of years till he's really like a rock solid or even average defender. But I think ultimately what you and I are both saying is we believe he can get there. So, yeah. yeah. So we'll wrap on the defensive part of the uh, the ball. But where I wanted to ask next, and we're getting close to wrapping up here, but wanted to ask next is if he's, if he's reminded you of a player in the past, this is kind of our NBA comp aspect of it, who are some players that come to mind that remind you of Grady Dick's game? So if you're saying that I'm buying stock in Grady Dick, like who may I have bought Correct. stock in before? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like how white do we want to get with this? Um, <laughs> compared him to J.J. Redick in the, in the always running around the floor um we could go kevin herter because he's a we're seeing passing and a little bit of dribbling he's not the level of creator that kevin herter was at maryland though um i think more so along the lines of your your seth curry's your jj reddick's you know what's interesting about comparing him to those level of players is that he has a size advantage to them you know mm-hmm. seth is about six two six three jj is around six three six four dick has about you know Dick has about a couple has a couple inches on the guys, right? So <laughs> Ting Talia. Bravo, bravo. Thank you. Yeah, he's um he's a little bit bigger in that aspect, but he can he runs the floor very well. Um, but that's about the level of player that I would compare him to or that I would have bought stock in before. How about you, man? 
Hmm. I, I think those are all good comps. I think for me, obviously, the Kevin Herter one came to mind. Um, and I have another guy who I, I think is similar because I, I think he's a really good good passer. Don't know if Greedy Dick ever gets to that level. But at the same time, he's not like some you know passing maestro either. But a guy, Luke Kennard, came to mind hmm. just in terms of size. Obviously, Kennard's a lefty, but, you know, good size on Luke Kennard, could pass the ball, great shooter, you know, a guy who clearly struggled on the defensive side of the ball, but also was a guy who got a four for 64 contract, you know, you know, a guy who has made some good money in his career, um, has played well at different times and also struggled at different times. Now I'm not saying that Grady Dick's going to have the same exact career as a Luke Kennard, but I, I think he is a guy who will offer similar skill sets to teams. Cause one thing we have to continue to remind ourselves that I have to continue sorry, I have to continue to remind myself is that he's six, eight. And yeah. I don't know, sometimes I watch him on the floor. It's like, oh, okay, he looks 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but he he seems actually to be a legitimate 6'8". And if he is 6'8", that's real size, you know? And I also thought of a guy like Malik Monk, but Malik Monk, okay. as you mentioned, like the other guys, is smaller. Um, Malik Monk. What about like a, like a yeah. Gary Trent Jr. or Duncan yeah. Robinson? Like, obviously, mm-hmm. Duncan's a little bit bigger. Gary right. Trent, I want to say, is like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Maybe Duncan's the way to go because... Big, runs off screens all day long, um, reliable three-point shooter, defense being the big question mark. You know, can he, Can Miami mm-hmm. afford to keep Robinson on the floor? The answer to that has been no because of guys like Mark Struess, players like that. Right. right. That might be kind of like hopefully the, the outcome that we don't get, mm-hmm. but it, I guess it's possible. Yeah, no, I was also thinking about like what's what's his best outcome, right? Like what would be yeah. a, a really, really great outcome? I don't know. Like it was hard to think of one, but I was like you even thought of like Dan Marley back in the day, you know, oh, okay. a guy who was a rock solid shooter, but was always like super feisty as a defender, you know, was great for the Suns teams back in the day and and the Heat as well. Like even when he was much older on the Heat, was a guy who, yeah, maybe wasn't your best defender, right? They had other guys like Mashburn and Vashawn mm-hmm. Leonard or whatever, but a guy who's still ready and willing to mix it up up and grab a big rebound for you in a key moment or you know and, and still offer that shooting and stuff so i i just thought maybe hornacek okay hornacek's okay. no. a good one no. too right right but like uh, that of that ilk right a guy yeah. who is going to offer a lot of shooting and potentially hopefully can also be aggressive and feisty on the defensive side of the ball even if Kyle they're lacking Corver. Corver. yeah Maybe. yeah i can see that too for yeah. sure yeah for sure I actually like that one now, because yeah. Corver's got the size too. Yeah, he was he was a he was a true six seven yeah. movement shooter. Yeah, constant so threat anytime he was on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So clearly there are a lot of guys there, right? That he can become. Now, what he actually ends up becoming, I think, is going to be interesting. Yeah. And so, with that being said, usually this is my part uh, on the pod, but because I'm hosting, I'm going to throw it to you, right? Mm. Um, America's favorite segment, right? Sell me this pen. Steven, do us this a favor. Pen. Good. Great pen. What pen was that? What, what, this what, is a papermate. A papermate. Okay. Also, yeah. I have two papermates over here. Okay. So papermate if you're interested. Papermate if you're interested. Give us a call. Send us an email. <laughs> but Steven, if you can, sell us this pen. Sell us Grady Dick. Um, we just got done listing a bunch of players that have seen time in the NBA that are all very capable three-point shooters. Even the guy that we were probably the lowest on of all the names got a big NBA contract and was a pivotal part of a deep playoff run. So obviously, and all these players played on completely different styles of team. 
So to me, that tells me that if you are looking to do anything with a pen, if you got to write something down, if you're looking to trace, draw, whatever, like anything that you can do with a pen, you just need one. Like Grady Dick is your guy. He's the type of player that we were talking about it on Kansas, you know, that combination of gravity and pressure. That's what NBA teams need. You know, they every NBA team has at least one guy that can apply pressure on the defense. You need to free your man up, bring in some gravity. A guy like Grady Dick can do that. He's a young guy who's looking to prove himself and establish himself on an, a very strong team this year and is learning how to improve even in, in his areas of concern. You can trust him as a connector to make the right reads. You can trust him that if he gets chased off the three-point line, if you completely sell out on him as a three-point shooter, he can cut, he can put the ball on the deck and hit you with the pull-up, and he's improving in his playmaking on the move and his shooting on the move as well. So if you have a strong developmental staff, he can be even better than probably the lower-level outcome, obviously, but even that lower-level outcome is going to be a very useful NBA player. Hmm. I'm sold. I'm I'm sold on Grady Dick. I think okay. I think Steven ultimately like from everything that we've talked about and where we're at right now, where I am is I feel like I'd be really comfortable taking him anywhere from 20 to 25 or mm. beyond that. Like I think if 18 is too rich for you. No, 18 is fine too. 18 so you're saying 18 saying? to 25. Okay. Sure, sure. 18, 18 If you can do 18, then why not 15? Like what's stopping? No, you? no. Let me pump the brakes. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'm trying. I, I, I really like want him. you to buy this pen. No, I, I like him in that range though because I think if I'm getting Dan Marley or Kyle Corver or any of these guys, I, I I'd want them in that range because mm-hmm. now once again, it also depends on the team, right? Like let's say Memphis or not. Actually, does Memphis need him? I don't even probably not. Memphis but doesn't they, draft bust, so if they draft him, mm-hmm. then he's going to be a good mm-hmm. NBA player. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that range is where I feel most comfortable taking him. Is Let's be I'm honest, Utah is going to draft him for obvious reasons. There it is. There it is. There we go. And they'll <laughs> they'll create the whitest team in the league, and it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> but it will be something. Yeah, but I feel like that's where I, I I'm kind of ending up right now, and I feel like it's not going to change between now and the end of the draft. I feel like even if he takes a bigger leap and continues to improve on the def- defensive side of the ball, I think that's where I'll feel most comfortable because we didn't really talk about his handle much, but I think the the creation stuff for himself with the ball in his hands, I think it, it's going to be hard for him to to for him to for us to see him improve leaps and bounds in that area. Yeah. So I do feel like there will be some restrictions in terms of him as an offensive player in that in, in terms of that sense. So I think that's where I see him 18 yeah. and uh, and on. I, if if a playoff contending team gets him at 25, you're going to be really happy about yeah. getting him in that spot is how I feel. And I think um is probably how you feel too, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like how we determine how good an NBA player is has a dollar sign attached to it. You know, Duncan Robinson, whenever he was, you know, first on the Miami Heat, he was a great value because he was making, you know, minimum level contract. When he got that paycheck, now everyone hates him. and He can't even see the floor anymore, right? So getting him later in the draft obviously means that you're getting him on a more favorable contract. And obviously, like, that increases – the value of a player. Again, we spoke to how teams usually are more successful, you know, when they're picking at the later end of the draft and 
they hit these singles and doubles. And floor spacing is at a premium all the time. We see that the NBA is trying exclusively more and more to go to a five-out scheme. He is a five-out style of player because of the shooting, the cutting, the, the connective passing that he has. You're not looking for him to create pick-and-roll opportunities necessarily, um, but maybe you trust him on a quick you know, skip pass to put even a slightly more pressure on the defense and find the next read, whether that's him finishing himself or it, you know, creating an opening for somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I think all that is solid. And ultimately I think NBA teams are going to be interested. They are going to yeah. be interested and he'll go at a good spot. So with that being said, I think this is where we're going to wrap it. Uh, Steven, if you will plug everything that you're doing, everything that you want to plug and we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, I am regularly the co-host of the Drop Deeper podcast, which if you're subscribed to the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed, you you know that already. But if you're not, please like, share, subscribe, rate, and review all of that fun to, to the podcast feed here on No Ceilings. And you will get to listen to me, you know, at least once a week while I'm in town. Um, I have one article that just released on Sunday. I contribute typically on Sundays as the weekend warrior at no ceilings, Most recently wrote about Azulis Tubelis, who I discussed with yesterday on deep dives and why I think that he is an NBA level, big man, a lot of kind of, kind of positionally he's similar to Grady Dick to where as a playmaker budding as a shooter, but he's more capable in on the interior and transition rebounding, things like that. I break down all of those aspects of his game. I include a couple little clips to justify why I feel the way that I do about him. I gave, you know, about five shout outs to some sleeper prospects and gave my weekend uh, warrior awards um, for every conference. So all of that's posted on no ceilings, And I have an, an interview coming up with a player that I'm not going to drop right now. I probably shouldn't even said it, but um, I'm in line to get an interview with a uh, pretty, promising freshman prospect um, who's doing quite well this year. By the time everyone's listening to this, maybe I'm already interviewing him. So be tuned for be, you know, be on standby for that because that's going to be my next feature piece on next Sunday. Perfect. And uh, we just want to say uh, as uh, the host of this show today, me filling in for Corey, just really want to give a special thanks to Steven for joining us and, you know, being a part of this because I've literally never hosted this show before and had to fill in <laughs> for Corey today. And it was a lot of fun for me. And I'm really glad. Happy you to be on. here, man. Thank yeah. you for having me. And for me, you guys can find me at Alberto Gim on Twitter is where you can find me last week. I dropped a piece on Julian Phillips and I compared him to hot, hot honey, honey, which yeah. is a delicious uh, condiment to put on anything that you're eating. And next week I'll be writing about somebody too. Haven't decided yet or more like, I just don't want to tell you guys. I want to keep that a secret, <laughs> keep it close to the vest, to the chest. But, um, yeah, is where you find me. Once again, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, next week, Corey should be back. If you guys are worried about Corey, don't worry. He's a little under the weather, but he'll be back. He is the rock uh, to this podcast, and I felt a little lost at times. But once again, little sad you. that he wasn't able to be on here to clap back to my clap back of his clap back on <laughs> the continuing Eli Manning discussion that we've had on mm -hmm. on the podcast feed this week. 
maybe it's a good thing he wasn't here for that uh is what i'll say uh but appreciate it thank you so much once again steven thank you all for listening please subscribe like comment whatever on all of our stuff follow everyone we continue to pump out incredible things five six seven days per week and uh until next time peace peace